Gamers on the Go, a podcast dedicated solely to those games that you can take with you. I'm your host, Chase Kennecke. Today's show is on Tearaway, and my guest is Patrick Klepek. Hi, Patrick. Hello. How hello, are you doing? hello, hello, hello. Thanks for having me. Thank you for coming on. I, uh, I imagine that you are uh, probably the biggest guest I've had on so far. Awesome. Yeah. Well, glad, glad, glad to help out. Driving them clicks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're just doing clickbait by getting me on here. You know, uh-huh. you're just one of those guys. Yeah, absolutely. I, I also posted something about Final Fantasy VIII, so uh, uh, I'm sure. Yeah, I'll... the best, the best Final <laughs> Fantasy on PlayStation One. Oh man, inside jokes. Um, all right. Well, uh, you know, having you on here, uh, I'd really like to to talk to you about some handheld stuff. Uh, you don't get to talk about a lot about handheld stuff uh, at Giant Bomb. I mean, you've you've talked about it a little bit, but. Um, a lot of these games, especially Vita games, haven't been very conducive for, for things like Quick Looks and have kind of gotten, um, uh, I guess, pushed to the wayside a little bit. So I'd, I'd like to hear mm-hmm. um, some stuff just in general about handheld games. And why don't we start with uh, something I like to ask uh, guess, new guests that I have on, just kind of what your handheld gaming history is. Uh, you know... It, you know, it's always been sort of secondary, uh, largely because I... I it, you know, I think how much handheld stuff integrates into your life uh, partially has to do with uh, circumstance. You know, if you have a commute, uh, you know, one where you're sitting on a bus or, you know, you're doing, you're in the car with somebody and you're in the passenger seat. Like, if you find yourself in situations where uh, handheld gaming is a way that you can fill your time or spend your time, um, handheld games are something you'll probably do a lot more with. Um, I've just never really had uh, that opportunity. Uh, you know, i even when I was in San Francisco, I often uh, was either walking to work or biking to work, or my commute was so short that it was not long enough to actually uh, play handheld games. And, and even before I moved to San Francisco, you know, I just at that point it was just a consideration of money. You know, I, I definitely had a Game Boy Advance, and I've, I've had every handheld platform that you know it's come out. I even imported a, a PSP uh, when it was first available, um, and I think I was a, a college sophomore at the time, and. Uh, you know, getting that and a copy of Ridge Racer was was definitely pretty cool and something I could I could kind of show off. Um, didn't necessarily help me with the ladies, but um, it was still very cool. Uh, I, I assure you. And you know, I mean, since then, I have looked towards handhelds as a way of having experiences that you just can't quite have anywhere else, or there are franchises that are exclusive to those platforms. Um, you know, I had a great time with Fire Emblem Awakening earlier this year. Uh, I got into strategy games with XCOM last year, and Fire Emblem seems sort of was kind of a consensus pick of if you've played a game like XCOM, like where do you go next? And Fire Emblem uh, was a perfect stepping stone, and I had a ton of fun with it. And you know, and then like things like Tearaway, where you cannot play it anywhere else, even if they do eventually, though I suspect they won't uh, port that to something like the PS4. Uh, there are ways of making those mechanics work, but it's not going to be the same, and it's not going to have the same charm uh, that, th- that they ring out of the very things that are specific to the Vita. So, you know, for me in handout, like these days, it's it's kind of largely about uh, capturing experiences that you, you just kind of can't get anywhere else. Definitely. I mean, that was a, that's a real great transition into our, our topic of the day here. Um, talking about Tearaway, yeah, I saw some some people um, asking, you know, when when is this going to get a PS3 or a PS4 port? And I thought, why... That no, <laughs> tear away. You you need to play it because it's all about having this game in your hands with the Vita, with the way the story works out. And, and we'll get into all this, but uh, just kind of an overview of it. 
it's a it's a game that really takes advantage of all the Vita's features and, and makes for a really unique experience. You gave a you gave the game a four out of five on Giant Bomb, mm-hmm. and uh, it sounded like you were pretty high on it. And uh, and I thought this would be a good chance to get you in and talk a little bit more about it. Yeah, it's it's a it's a it's a it's a great game. I I had I had a ton of fun with it, and it definitely feels like in terms of an evolution of Media Molecule as a studio. Uh, it, it, you know, it it feels like a game where they're identifying their strengths and playing to that in in a way that uh, was a little more palatable to me than than Little Big Planet was. Right, and I actually I had the same thought as you did with Little Big Planet that those those jumps are just too floaty. It was it was so close to a great game, but the the basic mechanics just didn't jive with me and it, it ruined everything else. Yeah, I, I think a lot of how you responded to Little Big Planet actually has to do with your preference on platformers. You know, if you are someone that, like myself, you know, one of my favorite games of all time, if not the uh, favorite game of all time, is Mega Man 2. And, you know, that's a game where precision is everything. And your jumps are the same every time, your shots are the same every time. Um, you know, if you're going to make games that have a little bit of, like, kind of fungibility to them, uh, you know, Super Meat Boy is a game where, you know, there's floatiness to it, but you feel in control at all times. Um, and in Little Bit Planet, I just didn't I didn't feel like I had control. I felt like the physics uh, sort of interfered with my ability to enjoy it as a platformer. And, and as someone that plays a lot of platforming games, um, it doesn't have to be, you know, very... Uh, the physics don't have to have weight to them necessarily, but I do want to feel like I'm in control, and I definitely feel didn't feel like that when I played Little Big Planet. Sure, and, and I think Tearaway, uh, to its credit, has a little tighter um, mechanics to it, a little tighter uh, physics when for the jumping. Although it really doesn't matter. I mean, this this game is simplistically it's a it's a platformer, but it it never seems like it really needs to have good mechanics because it's really more of a game of exploration. Yeah, I, I mean, as I mentioned in my review, I think probably the weakest moments of the game are where it tries to be a platformer. Um, there, there are very precious few moments in the game where you are actually asked to do anything sort of precise, um, and, and those moments I found to be uh, pretty weak. Again, you know, the, I, I, the, the way the game uses the character Shadow, uh, it just didn't help me uh, time those jumps. Um, you don't always have full control over the camera in a way that that you would like um but it also some of that depends on whether you have any interest in getting all the collectibles Uh, if you were going after all that stuff um those are the instances where uh, at least from you know when i played it it felt like the platforming uh sort of suffered Uh, but if you kind of just critical path it or just like enjoying it for what you find along the way rather than i got to try and find everything that that's available to me um you probably wouldn't run into that stuff nearly as much right uh, so we have we have kind of this basic platformer here, but the the really cool part, the at least the the first thing you see that makes it really unique is that it's this completely paper crafty world uh, that that is just it's gorgeous. Yeah, it, it has just a, a really really interesting look to it, and it, it kind of. It's not a line I used in my review, but it was something that I kind of thought about when I was playing it. But it's like when people describe to you like these. Like the worlds they create in Lego or Minecraft or something like that, it sounds so much more majestic than it actually is. And like when playing a game like Tarot, it feels like you're actually kind of in one of those worlds. Like you're in this sort of handcrafted universe that someone has made. And by actually being in it, it feels you know really alive. And it, and actually you know the, the way they they make that world come alive through just little animations that the, the paper hat 
as you know, things reacting to you and your ability to, you know, actually touch the screen and interact with it. Um, and even, you know, I haven't messed with it yet because I don't have a printer in my new place. Um, but, you know, the fact that one of the collectibles is actual paper craft that you can print out and fold together and put on your desk is a very, very cool uh, sort of melding of, uh, you know, uh, the physical reality with, you know, the digital game that you're playing. Absolutely. Yeah, I haven't I haven't messed with any of the, the actual physical papercraft stuff either, uh, although it is something that I'd really like to do, and I, I think it looks like an awesome idea. Um, but, uh, like, you were talking about... Uh, talking about kind of how this world has that physicality to it it's i mean it's it's not the right word but it almost has this kind of tactileness to it since it does look like something that you can just kind of put your hands on and there are so many times in the game and we'll get into some of these gimmicks of the features of the vita that it takes advantage of where you actually are manipulating the world or or touching the world in you know you have a slight barrier because it is still a video game but uh it definitely feels more tactile than than any other game that I've played before. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think the term gimmick can come across as uh, pejorative uh, up front because oftentimes um, that is the case. But I think, you know, Tearaway has worthwhile gimmicks. You know, I think if this was to be in every single game, it wouldn't make a lot of sense or it would become tiresome very quickly or it would have to be implemented in a different way. But I think when... When gimmicks do work, um, and, I, and I think, it, you know, it's sort of, it, gimmick ends up feeling like the wrong term for it. Um, you know, it's an effective use of the Vita's unique hardware features, I guess would be a Sony <laughs> PR line if you wanted to put it that way. Yeah. Uh, but, it, but that's what it is. It does, you know, it's, it's easy to, to write it off as a gimmick, um, but, you know, it works and it doesn't overstay its welcome and it's used effectively. And it made me appreciate what I had just sort of laughed at. Um, uh, when the Vita came out, because, you know, the rear touch has, you know, by and large, just not been used very effectively by most games. And although Tearaway doesn't necessarily maybe justify its existence, um, it does make great use of it, and it's a lot of fun to use. Um, and, you know, if you own one of those machines, you know, you want developers to, to make good use of, of everything that's possible with it. Right, yeah. I, I mean, when I when I was told first that, oh, you put your finger on the back touchpad and your finger will quote-unquote, come through the world and be able to manipulate things, that immediately sounds like a really poor gimmick that, oh, why would I want to do that? I can use buttons or triggers or sticks, and, and I've always used those, and those feel so much better. And I felt that way until I actually played the game and was using it. It wasn't, it wasn't an absolutely perfect implementation, but it was close enough for me to, uh, you know, uh, I guess the... the uh, Oh, I'm forgetting the term. The something of disbelief. Um, Suspension. Yeah. Uh, so I was able to suspend my disbelief just enough to be able to to really enjoy enjoy the world that's going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's kind of jump back out a little bit and and talk uh, about the game a little more generally. Um, so you can you can play as two different characters. I mean, you're still playing as you. <laughs> um, the character. Right. You uh, is something that is is referenced by the by a couple of the game's uh, characters that um, that you as this kind of godlike creature are are actually manipulating the world or are able to observe the world uh, that is Tearaway that I guess is kind of this this game that's going on inside the Vita. It, it's almost as if the game has been playing itself and has been telling stories to itself and it's just kind of out of ideas. 
and they discover these two kind of demigod characters discover the you and now they they feel like this is a chance for them to to get in some new material that you can go in and actually uh change how this world is um how this world works and and be able to tell new stories yeah it's 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 interesting that the game chooses to differentiate between uh the player character and the player themselves you know some games choose to kind of poke fun at that idea uh, some games choose to ignore it entirely or merge the two concepts um, and in an entire way you know I think it's sort of genuinely uh, unique in that it doesn't just sort of wink wink nod nod that you're there like you are incorporated as a character in that world that is separate from is it Iota I think mm-hmm. is the, the name of the, the character you play as and it makes you feel very invested you know you, you actually become a part of that world because you actually become a part of that world and are referenced in, in ways that are really appreciable and, and fun. Right. Uh, and you mentioned Iota, uh, one of the, uh, in, in addition to the, the you character that is actually yourself playing the game, there's uh, another character, a little avatar guy uh, named Iota, uh, or you can choose a girl who's named Atwa. Um, now, Iota, I just found it kind of interesting. Iota, that, that's uh, a Greek letter. It's a ninth letter of the Greek alphabet. Um, it's what we use as I for ours when it's transliterated. So uh, kind of the idea that it's an I as in a person. Uh, and then Iota also just means something very tiny and insignificant. And the, this character is a really tiny, insignificant portion of this world that kind of serves as this messenger. It, it literally is an envelope with legs. Uh, that is is going through this world to get back to the you that's playing the game to <laughs> deliver this message. Now I, I'm not 100 percent sure what the message is, other than just kind of bringing you bringing these two worlds together. But I, I just found that interesting on my playthrough. Uh, I don't know what Atwa means. Uh, I kind of looked it up. Uh, the only thing I could find is that I mean it's an it's an anagram of Iota, and then um, I guess it's also uh, like a programming function. I don't know anything about programming, but uh, I was told that it is uh, a programming function that converts a line of text to an integer. Sure, I, I believe you. I don't think that has any bearing on the character. I don't think Media Molecule uh, necessarily meant that, but uh, an interesting footnote, I suppose. Sure. <laughs> um, so, um, I mean, Tearaway, it, it's kind of, it has this really interesting story. Uh, that you can kind of dig into, but I think the the real cool stuff is all the customization, uh, as well as as well as the actual manipulation of the game. But I really enjoyed the customization features, and this is coming from Media Molecule, a developer that's known for for games like Little Big Planet, uh, mm-hmm. where you're you're physically building levels and and worlds for people to play through. And Tearaway is a little bit more limited in that it it has this linear story going on, but um, I feel like the features that they added allow people to be creative in a lot of different ways than they were able to be in, in Little Big Planet. Like Little Big Planet, you, you get so much choice that it can be really hard to know where to begin. But with Tearaway, it says, hey, just take a photo, and we'll use that photo as a pattern for this for this elk. Or, hey, uh, just you know draw this little thing, and now it's a crown, and it can be put on this little squirrel head. And and those are things that are simple enough, I think, for for a more casual audience to go, oh, yeah, that's no problem. Uh, I'm just going to draw a little crown. 
but it can also allow for people to still be creative and, and to make some really cool things. Yeah, I think the the idea of making a paper craft also like when when there are creative elements uh, in other games uh, that ask you to draw or I guess generally just to draw. Like I, I tend to shy away from that stuff or put in uh, little to no effort because I'm just I'm just really bad at. I'm no artist. I, I never will be, and I have no aspirations <laughs> to be. But paper craft is just like something whimsical and amateur and goofy, and it's meant to be an approximation and not a replication. That's a pretty key distinction that lowers the barrier to entry and makes you feel comfortable with just having some fun with it. And that's why I like to, you know, I, I, I had a, a really great time uh, the time that the, the game asked me to, to draw things and cut things out. You know, I think, I think it's I think it's really cool that the game has both a pen and uh, scissor function, uh, and you can watch all that stuff happen. It doesn't make you, you know, it. I don't know. I just it, I tend to shy away from that stuff traditionally in games, and the way they presented it made me feel like you know what I can do this too. This is fun. There's no consequence. Uh, it's not judging me as an artist, uh, and and by doing uh, uh, that, it actually. Uh, encouraged me to be engaged in a way that I sort of traditionally ignore that stuff in games. Right. I, I think back to a game like Spore, where I, I used the creature creator that came out a little bit before the game. I used that. I made some really cool creatures that I was really proud of. And then you get in the game. You're starting to play a little bit more. You play with your creature that you've created. Then you get to the, I guess, the city stage where you can start making buildings. And the first two buildings that I made were just super intricate. They took me, you know, maybe an hour to make these things. But then... And they kept asking for another building and another building and another building. And by the time I was on my fifth or sixth building, I just they were just blocks because I did not care anymore. They, they came too quickly, and they took too much effort to actually make something super cool, and, and I just got burned out. So even when it got to, I guess you could design your own spaceship too, I just, I just stopped caring. And, and I think Tearaway does a good job of giving you small tasks that you're able to quickly make cool things and, and make as as much of it out of as make make as much out of it as you want to and, mm-hmm. uh, and I think that that works to the game's credit totally um, so we kind of talked we talked a little bit about the idea of, of gimmicks and how uh, being a pejorative term and um, kind of those things but um, this game really does take advantage of, of all the features of the Vita I mean it has uh, an accelerometer part I guess that's kind of closer to the end of the game but uh, and that was probably the weakest feature I thought of all of them. Um, but it uses the accelerometer. Uh, we talked about the back touch, how you can uh, actually bring your fingers into the world through the back. Um, I can't remember. I mean, it uses the front touch screen when you're actually drawing things and, and cutting them out to use with the paper world. And, uh, and then it even uses uh, both of the Vita's cameras. You can use, it uses the front camera to actually show you in the world at different spots. And then it uses the back uh, camera when you actually need to take a photo to uh, to take a picture of something in your world that can be used as something like a pattern. Uh, it may- yeah, that, that stuff was, I, I meant to mention it in my review, it kind of bummed me out because I tend to play a lot of ga- you know, I don't play games during the day. I wish <laughs> my job was playing games all day, but it, uh, it, it is 99% of the time, no games are played 9 to 6. Um, so I tend to play games at night and, you know, if you play Tearaway in the dark, uh, those cameras don't have night vision, don't actually right. pick up light very 
uh, in, in the dark. Uh, and I actually ended up playing a bunch of Tearaway when I was uh, in the car. Uh, my wife and I were, were driving out to Nebraska for, for Thanksgiving stuff, and, like, the pictures were useless. Like, I just basically was taking pictures of darkness, and then those were getting slapped on. Um, you know, I, it was one of those situations where, you know, I'm sure there are content reasons why, you know, uh, why they wouldn't do it, but if maybe I could have just, like, opened the web browser and then, like, found a pattern and, sure. and used that. Like, you know, I'm sure they are doing that so that people don't put dicks in it, but it seems like if you let them use the camera, that's probably... Easier way to get dicks in the game. Sure. Um, <laughs> yeah, but, uh, yeah. That, that that was a little a little uh, frustrating because maybe half the instances where they choose to invoke that, I couldn't even use them. Right. I had the exact same problem. Uh, I felt like the for the front uh, camera, the the games, the light that was actually coming from the Vita lit up your face enough to make it work. It wasn't perfect, but it, it was enough to actually you know let me see myself and go, oh yeah, that that's me. It's not just some dark corner of the world. But uh, yeah, the back the back camera stuff was was pretty tough. I actually had my laptop open right next to me, so I just kind of turned it to the laptop and waited for something to not be blurry, not be a blurry mess, and then it actually it, it worked out okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that that was kind of a, a feature. I, I just laid down on my couch, all the lights were off, I was ready to play a game, and then it immediately says, "Hey, this is what you look like," and it's pretty dark, and you can't even see yourself, and that was. A little discouraging, uh, but I think, you know, that's, again, that's not really the game's fault. Uh, they're trying to take advantage of these features and, and kind of what can they do if, if, the, uh, if the environment's dark around you. Mm-hmm. Um, we kind of talked about how, uh, I mean, you, you're in this game. This game kind of is a, a fourth wall breaking thing in that it, it acknowledges you as a player, but it, it uses that to its own story. So it doesn't, it's almost like they construct like a fifth wall in there to say, well, yeah, we can break through the fourth wall because there is another one, and this is all part of the game. And I, I just thought that was really interesting. Uh, I guess that's more of a tangent than anything else, but <laughs> um, uh, I was just pretty enthralled with the story. I started playing over again uh, before the podcast, and uh, I didn't get too far, but just to remember kind of the, the story stuff from the beginning... And uh, one of the things I'd forgotten by the time that I uh, finished the game the first time is that the the enemies in the game, the scraps, uh, those come from the quote-unquote real world. They come from the use world. Uh, you can, at the beginning of the game, you see them jump down right pretty much out of your face uh, throughout through that kind of sun hole that, that takes place in the game world. And... So it was almost like a reverse Pandora's box in that, that you opened this world and brought darkness into it, as well, I guess, as the, as the light that is Iota or Atwa that, that goes throughout the game. But uh, I don't feel like that was explained entirely well on why, uh, why the enemies came from, um, from, the, from the real world, too. But uh, I thought that was something that was kind of interesting. Yeah, yeah, they definitely, they definitely totally committed um, to to the idea of you being sort of an active participant in that world, for better or worse. And uh, I, yeah, I, th- I think that made it made it made it really fun when you were when you were in there playing around to know that you know in some ways you're responsible. Right. Um, so, kind of tying up the talk about Tearaway itself, uh, I, I thought it was a fantastic Vita game. Uh, it might actually be the best game I've played on the Vita. Patrick, can you think of any other games? I mean, have you played a lot of games on the Vita to, to have a favorite? Uh, I really enjoyed Gravity Rush um, or Gravity Days. I forget what it was called Gravity out Rush, here. Got it. 
Um, I enjoyed that. It got very repetitive by the end, but uh, that was it's still free on PlayStation. Well, free on PlayStation Plus, but it's still one of the instant games on PlayStation Plus when you buy a Vita. Um, I would always, you know, I would recommend that to, to folks that are maybe getting one as they buy a PS4. Um, but you know, uh, yeah, yeah, obviously people uh, deeply love Persona 4, the Golden, um, and I have not had a chance to, to play that yet. Um, but it is one of my, as it continues to be cold here in the Midwest, uh, games that I'd like to check out in January. So, uh, but yeah, Tearaway is probably my favorite game that I've played so far, for sure. Yeah, uh, I mean, the, the only one that kind of competes with it for me is, is Sound Shapes, but that's also a PS3 game with the cross-buy. Um, but I, I just love Sound Shapes a whole lot. That was the reason I bought a Vita. Um, so I guess that kind of uh, wraps up what we're talking about with Tearaway. Uh, but while I have you here, I want to I want to kind of ask you some questions about handheld games in general and and just kind of some game industry stuff. Um, and the first thing uh, I kind of want to talk about Nintendo a little bit, and I, I think one of the the questions that you've gotten on your Tumblr uh, recently was was asking. Uh, if if Nintendo should abandon the Wii U, and and your response was that no, that what Nintendo does, and and I think it's a right one, is that uh, they stick with their consoles. If they if they put out something, you know that that isn't necessarily popular in the very beginning, they're not just going to cut their losses. That they have a, an install base of Wii U's out there, and that that they're going to keep supporting that, even if it's just Nintendo by themselves supporting it, like they have. With, with something like the GameCube or, or some previous consoles like that. Um, but I, I wanted to ask you that if you thought that the Wii U might be their last home console, if, if they might determine that, okay, you know, we're going to go through with it, we're going to we're finish up, finish what we started here with the Wii U, but we have this handheld stuff that we dominate, and maybe, maybe they just kind of let their console stuff go after the Wii U, or do you think they have another console in them? Well, I think we start to get into to weird semantic discussion. I think you could also say that the 3DS is probably their last traditional handheld as well. Um, I think Nintendo's future, unless they have something, you know, really radical up their sleeves, and, you know, they're certainly not a company to count out in terms of uh, really hitting us from left field. Um, but the most likely scenario, I think, for Nintendo is recognizing that uh, their software strengths are not... You know, unless they have something like a Wii Sports to really uh, sort of carry the day, um, they just don't have enough resources to, uh, to sort of support two machines. Um, that doesn't ignore these sort of just inherent problems with the Wii U. Um, but they have clearly invested most of their time in building software for the 3DS, and I think the future of Nintendo is merging those two lines, um, is finding a device that functions as both a handheld and a console uh, in the in the same thing. Um, so rather than asking Nintendo fans to choose one or the other, uh, or to somehow uh, you know buy both, um, you know if you want to play a Mario game, you know why should Nintendo make one for the 3DS and the Wii U? You know why, what if they were able to just make a Super Mario 3D World that you know played on the go and played when you were at home, and you know maybe that is fun, you know. That functions through connecting, you know, the device to the TV itself, or if they have an Apple TV sort of, you know, remote play uh, way of projecting that onto a large television. But you know, I think the future of Nintendo is consolidating their hardware into a singular platform, and then 
you know, that solves their operating system problems, which they're just, they're not great at that. And if they could just kind of condense it, I think it would help solve existing issues that are sort of structural to the company. And then, uh, you know, it sort of consolidates their R&D resources to make games for a single platform that is just more effective, uh, you're, you know. And uh, I think that's probably the, the future of the company, at least, you know, if, if I was handed the keys to the kingdom, you know, I definitely would not tell them to just run to the mobile money. Uh, I think that's a short-term right. uh, fix that destroys them in the long term, just like it did to Sega. And, and, and But I think doubling down on, on one piece of hardware probably makes the most sense. Yeah, I mean, it feels like the Wii U is almost a half-step to that anyway, with the with that uh, gamepad there that... Um, that you you can take it away and, and play without actually having to go to your TV. It seems like it almost seems like that's what they wanted to do, but they just needed another step before you, before they can get to that future. Um, so that that sounds completely valid to me, and sounds like something that Nintendo uh, probably uh, conventionally at least looks like what they might go for. Unless, of course, uh, like you said, they throw another thing like the Wii at us that you know is completely out of left field that captures the hearts and minds of everyone again uh which honestly could could happen because it's nintendo yeah absolutely um i also want to talk a little bit about uh, the vita some more and specifically about playstation plus i think this this might have been something that was brought up to you and, and you talked a little bit about but um playstation plus I, th- I think we can all agree is a really cool service uh that sony uh, because they kind of had to catch up to what Xbox Live was doing, uh, that they, they had to give a little bit more value out of PlayStation Plus. And, and by giving away these free games uh, and, and actually turning it into a pretty decent service, uh, they've, they've done that. But uh, how do you feel when, I guess, people take advantage of PlayStation Plus? Um, for example, uh, I thought Soul Sacrifice was a very cool-looking game. I think it was one of the only Vita games that you guys got to uh, quick look at all because of whatever that kind of funky capture gear that halfway worked there that one time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought it looked really cool. I really wanted to get it, uh, but I just I didn't want to get it at its current price. And I ended up waiting for it to come free on PlayStation Plus, and, and now that it has, because I figured it would, uh, I downloaded it, I've been playing it, and I've been enjoying it. Uh, but that's those are lost sales, and and how do you feel like PlayStation Plus is affecting games on the Vita? And I've been hearing it going back to Tearaway. I've been hearing people. Uh, Garnett Lee was one of the ones I saw today on Twitter that said, "Hey, Tearaway looks really cool. Can't wait to play it when it goes up free on PlayStation Plus." And that's kind of disheartening. That why would anybody make a game for the Vita if everyone's just going to wait for it to go free? Well, uh, for one, my, I believe my understanding. Uh, this may, you know, be different for different developers, um, maybe different for indies and for AAA, um, but that uh, people do get a cut when someone downloads something through PlayStation Plus. It is offered, you know, it is essentially um, Sony is offering it up for free, and then if someone chooses to, to download it, um, the developer is getting uh, some money out of that. It's sort of subsidized through PlayStation Plus, and the, the user just doesn't kind of see how that transaction occurs. Um, but obviously, yeah, I, I would imagine that, you know, that's probably the equivalent of a Spotify play, where you're getting, you know, a fraction of what you would normally get um, relative to an actual sale. Uh, and, yeah, I think, I think it's indicative of a much larger problem in, in games right now. I've talked to a couple developers that uh, these sort of sales 
frenzy that uh, takes hold uh, is very good for consumers. You know, I don't mean to despair of sales or think that consumers shouldn't take advantage of them. They absolutely should. You should get as much as you can for as cheap and as free as you can. Um, but, you know, if you're thinking of the, the bigger picture about the health uh, of developers and the development community, you know, Steam is, a you know, a good example of that where, What's the point of buying it on launch day? Because it's going to get its price slashed really, really quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's not a whole lot of reason uh, to buy uh, on launch day. And um, for, like, indies and stuff like that, uh, they can't do things like, you know, this is why we have pre-order bonuses. This is why we have collector's editions. You know, people may not like that stuff, but that's what gets people to buy stuff on day one. Uh, and smaller developers can't take advantage of that. So then there's a much larger trend occurring where, uh, our our deep love and appreciation for cheaper prices uh, is uh, getting people into an expectation that they don't need to buy on day one, and that's their right, and they should do that. Uh, you should always, you know, demand uh, the cheapest price for for what is something uh, is worth for however you value it. Um, but there there is an interesting question there about oh, you know what's that uh, transforming us uh, into habitually. Sure. I mean, it'd be it'd be really interesting if uh, Activision had to say, "Hey, Call of Duty." They're definitely not going to put out a press release if if everybody was waiting for Call of Duty to go on sale on Steam. Uh, they couldn't go out and say that, "Oh, hey, it, it sold its you know billions of dollars in in a single day," which I guess would also then tell people, "Oh, yeah, that's a popular game. I should go buy that too," which would keep the tail up. So uh, that would that'd be really interesting if. Uh, if Activision actually went through that where people weren't buying their game day one. But with that, I guess there's also a difference in that it's a multiplayer game that everybody wants to go in and start playing it as soon as possible and, and get all the stuff and prestige. And I, I have fallen out of favor with Call of Duty. It's it's not something I want to play anymore. But Sure. It is interesting. Um, can uh, Let's talk a little bit, uh, kind of go back on the 3DS a little bit. Uh, it's been a really good year for the 3DS. It's... Uh, probably been like a defining year there there have been a ton of games that have come out that i've enjoyed we've got a new animal crossing we got a new uh pokemon we got a new fire emblem uh we got a new zelda uh have you finished zelda yet no i'm probably halfway i've collected two of the sages in the dark world um i need to put a bunch of time into that's basically what i'm going to be spending my evening doing is uh is trying to get more into that as Giant Bomb gets closer, really close to figuring out Game of the Year stuff. So um, I need to spend some more time with that. But, yeah, that's a terrific game, and the 3DS has had uh, a really great year. Animal Crossing is is not really my thing, um, but, you know, I recognize that people deeply love that game. But on the flip side, you know, I adored Fire Emblem Awakening and had a ton of fun with that. And, you know, look forward to playing that again sometime and doing something uh, completely different. But I really appreciate that game because it, you know, just like XCOM, it forces you to value your units in a way. Well, I guess differently than XCOM, both of them have sort of a mechanic where the, your soldiers can die, uh, but you just don't, you know, you're not personally invested in the relationships um, of your soldiers because the game doesn't... Uh, build any of that stuff in but in fire emblem you know they have, they have dialogue and they're having kids and there's just a whole other level to it that is beyond just this dude's really good at kicking ass and you know i, I just had a, a terrific time with that and it's 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 kind of made me think that maybe i'm gonna get on like a once a year strategy habit which is like picking playing just one of those a year i, I guess i also played shadow run returns this year uh but i'm really looking forward to 
the game, uh, the Banner Saga, uh, next year as a as a result of, of Fire Emblem. Sure, and I've never been a huge Fire Emblem fan. Fan. I played uh, the DS one that had uh, that was kind of the remake with Marth, uh, and I liked that Shadow Dragon. I think uh, so. Uh-huh. I played that one a, a decent amount, but uh, I couldn't quite get into it. But I think Awakening was really where I started to get into it too. I've I've always played Advance Wars. I love Advance Wars. That's a great series, but uh, Fire Emblem being made by the same people it, it was uh it just adds a little touch of difference and uh i i ended up playing that game for way too many hours um i think i ended up cracking something like 500 and then i felt bad about how much time i put into it <laughs> um so I, I know giant bomb game of the year stuff is going on or about to go on and i don't want you to have to uh you know reveal anything that might be going on you still have games to play but as far as handheld games, I mean, you talked about Fire Emblem. Um, do you think that's, I mean, and Zelda 2 being terrific. Do you, do you think either one of those kind of has the edge for at least a handheld game of the year for you? Yeah, man, I got to get more, I got to get deeper into Zelda. You know, I think I'm really liking uh, Zelda quite a bit, but, you know, strategy is a new genre to me, so there's sort of a novelty factor to Fire Emblem that I have a much deeper appreciation for. Um, I'm trying to look through my list of games that I've, but I guess it depends on if you call uh, iPhones and iPads handhelds. That was going to be uh, my next question. What what kind of iOS? If you and yeah, if you include that, um, your walk was terrific mm-hmm. um, from the same developer, uh, Device Six. I just started uh, was Device at, Six last night. I haven't gotten to Year Walk, and I and I want to. Uh, but uh, yeah, both from the same developer, Samogo Games. Just. Phenomenal pieces of the handheld uh, work. Um, both those really good. I'm trying to see. Uh, yeah, I finished VLR, but I don't think that came out this year. I think I'm that came sure out last year. Um, that's all I can see from my list. Uh, yeah. Yep. Oh, no, The Room came out last year, but The Room 2 comes out next week. Okay, yeah, that's right. Yeah, I knew I knew something about The Room was coming out this year. Uh, yeah. But, uh, yeah, Fire Emblem, Zelda, you know, Device 6, uh, Your Walk, that is a... <laughs> Those are all games I would not feel bad having on my, you know, top ten list, and that's in addition to all sorts of other games that I enjoyed this year. I mean, they might not be better than Brothers, but, you know, what what is? Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, I, I only ask because uh, the next show that we're going to be doing for Gamers on the Go is going to be our Game of the Year show, and uh, mm-hmm. just kind of getting some, some other input from some people uh, would be interesting. Um, can we Let's talk a little bit about the Vita TV while I still have you here. Uh, I know Jeff got one in the office, and, uh, you know, because of the uh, kind of the way it it works that it came out in Japan, it only supports these Japanese games. There isn't a whole lot you can do with it. Uh, It sounds like Sony has been uh, open to it coming to the West, and, in fact, it almost sounds like they want to bring it out here, and they think it'll do better here because of the the more streaming services that we have in America with with Netflix and Hulu and, and Amazon Instant and that kind of stuff. Um, so, I mean, do you, do you think we're getting that Vita TV and, and do you have any idea, you know, when, when Sony might want to do that? I'm sure you don't have a, a, an exact date for me, but, uh, I thought you might have some insight on that. Yeah, no, and unfortunately I don't know too much about their plans, but, you know, if I had to take a shot in the dark, uh, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if we saw it next spring, you know, introducing something like Vita TV around the time when we're, uh, you know, software is going to slow down a little bit for next gen. Um, that would be something to sort of reinvigorate people's interests in in these platforms, and uh, especially considering you know they've got like the cross buy and cross play stuff, and the fact that the Vita TV can kind of act as like a hub to get 
that stuff around the house a little bit better. Um, I wouldn't be shocked if we if we saw that sometime in in the spring. And I think you know, like the Vita, it's probably not going to have a whole lot of mass market appeal. Mm-hmm. But for people that are involved in the PlayStation ecosystem, people that have a Vita and a PS4. You know, I think that's going to make a lot of sense to get one of those two. You know, I think there are games that will work just fine on the big screen that you don't need, um, you know, all the features of the Vita for. And most games are not going to be Tearaway. Right. Um, so even if Tearaway is not compatible with something like that, um, that's okay. Because I think the vast majority of games for that system, you know, will work just fine uh, with without that. So I, I expect they'll bring it over. Um, I don't think they're going to make it any bigger than that thing can really be, which is sort of a niche device uh, that appeals to the hardest of the hardcore, um, but that I think to those people it can be, it can end up being pretty useful. Right, and, and I think Jeff uh, talked about this at one point, but uh, he brought up the good point that they should really just let the Vita be a controller for that thing, because then it gets it gets you past a lot of the uh, the problems with the, the compatibility list, because you're actually still able to play it like a Vita game, even though something like Tearaway would probably be still pretty tough if you're putting fingers on the back touch on your controller and trying to look up on the big screen. But mm-hmm. uh, I feel like that, I mean, it probably isn't Sony's idea since uh, since they're thinking this Vita TV is almost a replacement for a Vita in a, in a small way. Uh, that I still feel like that would be a really good, nice feature and probably something that wouldn't I wouldn't imagine would be too terribly hard to implement. But uh, right. that's just kind of a dream. Um Last couple questions here. Uh, what would you like to see, uh, or before before that one actually? Uh, what's exciting you for handheld games uh, in the next coming year? I know we have uh, Yoshi's New Island, uh, even though that's made by the guys who made the uh, the Yoshi DS games, Yoshi's Island DS games, which were not good, and uh, no. you didn't enjoy. Uh, no, not good. But hey, hey, maybe they'll get it right this time. Uh, yeah, I'm trying to I'm trying to think of some other games that we know are coming out. Um, for handheld stuff. Uh, let's see. 3DS 2014. Oh, that's... I don't want to know what 3DS Max is doing in 2014. <laughs> uh, okay, here we go. Let's pull this up. Uh, so this comes out next year, but I guess most people will probably play that on Wii U. Mm-hmm. Um, Bravely Default. I heard that's supposed oh. to be pretty good. That yeah, interesting. I did put in my pre-order for that, and, and we'll see uh, about that. I mean, it, it sounds like it's kind of a spiritual successor to um, the Four Heroes of Light, uh, the, that old DS game that was kind of Final Fantasy. It was kind of like a reboot of Final Fantasy in a different way. Uh, yeah. Um, Monster Hunter 4, I assume, will come out here next year. Mm-hmm. And, and I, you know, I kind of... Are you still playing what? much of 3 Ultimate? No, no, no. I basically stopped after the quick look, but yeah. I felt like that got me into it enough that, you know, I'll, I'll dive in deep when 4 comes out. Um, and I'm always up for a new Kirby game, so uh, there's another one of those coming to 3DS next year, so and I'm, I'm excited about that. Yeah, and Smash Brothers. And Smash Brothers, hopefully we'll, we'll see that. Uh, it's getting its 3DS version, too. Uh, I think the Vita has some pretty cool stuff coming out. Um, uh, the game that I was kind of really looking forward to, Ali Ali, that indie game that's all about uh, skating, that side-scrolling skating, skating mm-hmm. game, uh, that got pushed back to next year. Uh, Luftrausers from uh, Blambeer, uh, that got pushed back to next year uh, because of the problems they've had with people stealing their stuff and all that. Uh, and then I've, I've still only seen the trailer for it, but Metrico, that kind of has the that almost infographic style 
that looks really interesting. It actually reminded me a lot of Device 6 uh, when I was <coughs> seeing some stuff about Device 6. So that was something that was pretty cool, too. And, uh, I, I mean, something like The Walking Dead Season 2, we're going to be seeing that come to Vita as well. Um, even though that's going to be more of a PC console game, uh, we'll get it. And, and I guess iOS as well. Um, uh, is, is there anything, though, that uh, that hasn't been announced that you'd like to see? I, I know for, from my perspective, uh, I talked about Advance Wars. I would love to see another Advance Wars. And I think if they, if they traded off going from Fire Emblem to Advance Wars back to Fire Emblem, that would be uh, a really cool. Uh, I don't know if Nintendo's going to do that, especially after the last Advance Wars they put out. The uh, Days of Ruin wasn't wasn't the best one. Uh, but I'd really like to see them come back to that series and, and play something like that. Uh, is there is there a game out there that you'd kind of like to see come to a handheld? I mean, you know, after seeing what, what Nintendo did with uh, the Link to the Past template, you know, I think it's not a stretch to kind of wonder and wish what they might do with something like Super Metroid. Um, you know, I can't, on the, on the same token, I can't help but some, you know, wish that would actually be a Wii U thing because then it would be on the big screen, but probably where it's going to sell better is on another handheld platform, which is why I want them to merge the two so I can have the best <laughs> of both worlds. Um, but yeah, I, it's been a while since uh, I tried game, and uh, I think I'd be, I'd be into one of those, and I mean, I'd be, I'd be happy with the Metroid. I'm four. Uh, I was a huge fan of that series, and I would certainly like to see another one. All right, and and I know that you'd rather have a new game than a remake, but I'm I'm pretty sure you'd be okay with a, a Majora's Mask 3D too, right? Yeah, it sounds <laughs> like I think that's going to happen. I am. Yeah, I'm, maybe with having Majora's Mask in in your house in a link in a Link Between Worlds, it just seems like. Yeah, and Wada had made doing? some com- yeah he had made some comments ahead of the game's release saying uh, if you want some hints on what's happening. Uh, you know, to Majora's Mask, like, they'll be in that game. So I don't think you say something like that uh, unless you're going to do something with it. And uh, it would be awfully fitting for, you know, the next big change for Zelda on Wii U uh, to come after, uh, you know, a a remake of Majora's Mask. And uh, while I'd much rather have Majora's Mask 2, I have not played Majora's Mask in so long, and I would be be happy to do so again if they were to, to put it out on 3DS. Right. Uh, my guess is that Skull Kid is just a character in uh, in Smash Brothers, and the world. Uh, <laughs> now that I've said it, it has to happen because that's that's how it works. Terrible. <laughs> um, let's uh, let's get into some plugs here, uh, Patrick. People know you from GiantBomb.com. Uh, you do a lot of reports there. Uh, one of the one of the uh, articles that you just put up today was about um, the developer that uh, changed their game for blind gamers to to play. Yeah, uh, there's a game called uh, Freak, uh, F-R-E-E-Q, kind of like Frequency. Uh, it's an audio-based sort of radio diary sort of game, but also requires, you know, visual elements. You kind of play a futuristic um, a switchboard conductor. Um, and they put it out, and they had a number of players uh, reach out saying that, hey, you know, we're you know, either blind or uh, vision impaired in another way, and kind of bought the game thinking that uh, they could play it um, because it was audio-based, and, you know, it, it is, you know, hugely audio-based, but not entirely. Um, and they got enough of those people to reach out, uh, and so the developers worked with that community and found ways to kind of convert it uh, and make sense uh, for for that community. And it's it's just a really cool story of, uh, of a developer, you know, 
helping uh, construct their game to be more palatable to sort of a marginalized audience that, you know, doesn't make a lot of business sense, but, uh, you know, it's nice when, when you can kind of find ways to make that happen. Definitely. And, and like, tying that back into handheld games, a, a few episodes ago I did a show on Vanished, which is an iOS game that's completely audio only, and it's supposed to be an, a horror game. Uh, the, the execution isn't perfect, but uh, it's, a really, it's a really interesting game. It's made by uh, two, two guys uh, as part of an Italian uh, developer called Pixel Heart, and, uh, hmm. and those guys were really cool. Uh, if you want to go back and listen to that show, it's like 20 minutes long, and those guys were, were really cool and uh, very apologetic about their, their not-so-great English, uh, and that was, a, that was a fun time. Uh, are there any other articles though that you'd uh, that people need to see, or anything else that you uh, you want them to uh, go to? Uh, maybe the morning show or something. Yeah, yeah, we have the morning show every Monday and Friday with with Alex uh, Wolf Navarro, and you know people can stay tuned to the the Game of the Year stuff, uh, which we're gonna start recording and filming very soon. Uh, trying to figure out if I'm gonna. Be- to make it out there for any of that, um, so kind of kind of working out the travel stuff. But one way or the other, it will happen, and uh, I'm looking forward to see what stupid stuff we do this year. Very cool. And uh, for Gamers on the Go, you can go to GamersOnTheGo.com, and that will take you to our Tumblr page that will show you all the previous episodes that we have, uh, as well as uh, stupid and handheld stuff that I reblog every once in a while. Uh, and then you can contact us on Twitter at GOTG Podcast uh, to tell us. You know, if there's a game that you want to hear about uh, or if uh, something interesting with handheld games that you think I need to know about, uh, let me know. Patrick, I really appreciate you coming on. Uh, you're, you're the one with all the podcast experience. I feel like you should have been running the show. But, uh, but it's been great having you on here and, and be able to talk about some handheld games, and Tearaway specifically. If you have, yeah. if you have a Vita, why do you not own Tearaway? Uh, it, I mean, there aren't a whole lot of people with Vitas out in this world right now, so you might as well grab one of the best games. I 100% agree. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you, Patrick, and I'll talk to you guys later. Take care.